five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from London, England is business owner and two-time kidney transplant recipient, Teo Idubu. Teo was diagnosed with end-stage renal failure in 2010 and shares his story of being on peritoneal dialysis and the failure of his first kidney transplant and the challenges he overcame after receiving his second kidney transplant. Teo is in fine health and actively recovering his fitness as much as possible during lockdown. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Teo? I'm doing fine, thank you, Dee. Good, good. Welcome to the podcast. And as everyone knows, I love recording Kidney Warrior stories because I really believe that the lived experience of our kidney warriors is so powerful and can help so many people. So thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. I'm going to kick off with my first question. And my first question is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? I would say its inception was actually around when I reached the age of 40. Um, That was, if I was to say that was the very beginning of the journey, whereby I contracted a little known but very uh, well-known in the black community condition called sarcoidosis, which is essentially inflammation of the lungs. And it has a very high um, incidence in black men, literally when they turn 40. So I turned 40 and I began to notice that my breath, I was getting breathless, despite the fact I was running. I had this kind of dry cough and um, I was losing a lot of weight. So I went to my GP and he said, oh, we think, Mr. Dewey, you've got a classical um, sarcoidosis. And uh, being an inflammation, it was treated with high doses of prednisolone, which people may or may not know, can have an uh, effect on your kidneys. So, which, um, I, and I was on this uh, medication for quite a long time, on and off for, for 1995, about 10, 15 years. So... And I was supposed to have my kidneys monitored by a hospital, which apparently didn't happen. So consequently, roll forward um, 15 years later, 2010, I was, um, uh, my blood pressure was going up and up and up. I didn't seem to be controlled despite, you know, taking tablets for it. And then I remember on a warm July day, I got called to the hospital and I was told to put it bluntly, in a very blasé, offhand way, that I had end-stage kidney failure. 
Now, I say in a blase way because I felt that the consultant or the doctor thought I was fully aware of my condition or the fact that I was at end stage. And from seeing my reaction, quickly tried to cover her emotions to make it to make it seem as if she was concerned. But that left me in a complete daze because I just thought I was going in for a normal routine consultation as to how to manage my blood pressure. And I came out with this shock of knowing that I had end-stage kidney failure and that I will be needing dialysis very soon. So I, to be honest, if you ask me today how I got home, I don't know. I was in a complete daze. And so obviously taking in the news was a massive shock to myself and to my family, but it was something that, well, it was, as you say, it was a journey. And I had to begin the process of dealing with that journey and dealing with the prospect of having to go on to dialysis, which obviously I'd heard of, but never thought one day I would be going down that route. So, yeah, so that was it. Um, It took me quite, I would say, a few months to kind of come to the realisation that you know, things were going to change dramatically. And so it then began the journey of deciding what kind of dialysis I was going to go on and just kind of putting off the inevitable, I would say, in my own mind until I kind of felt ready for it. I mean, they wanted to put me on straight away, but I just wasn't emotionally ready. And I thought, well, you know what, it can't get any worse than it is. You know, so it took me from July when I heard the news to December. Yeah, probably was it this? Yeah, probably towards the end of December when I actually started what I would call my renal journey proper. Well, so I mean, that really is quite a journey in terms of one illness and the treatment for that illness then causing your kidneys to fail. So you said there was a gap between hearing that you were in end-stage kidney disease mm. and then starting your dialysis. So in terms of the shock and everything that you were feeling, was it that you felt that by going on to dialysis, it was accepting the diagnosis? Why did you delay that treatment? What was stopping? Well, because, because my... my um results then my GFR was practically down to five or six, very, very low. I had been suffering excruciating pains from what's that condition again? When you get I've forgotten the anyway, is when you get buildup of urea crystals in your joints. There's a condition for I can't, can't remember it's gone out of my mind. But essentially because the kidney had more or less failed you get the buildup of the results of protein, which is urea, needles in your joints, like your knees and your hands. And it is just as bad as having a toothache. You just cannot do anything. You can't walk, you can't sleep. So after having bouts of that and recognizing that if I continue to resist dialysis, that was going to get worse, it didn't seem any point 
in delaying it further than I did. I mean, I wasn't delaying it anyway. I was just really coming to terms with it. I see. So what type of dialysis did you have at that point? Well, I opted for what is called peritoneal dialysis or PD, where essentially they insert a tube from your peritoneum, which is just below your diaphragm. And that fluid goes round a tubing, which is essentially acting as your kidney and filters out as much of impurities as it can and fluid by this process overnight. So I chose overnight. So it essentially happened while you're sleeping. So by doing it that way, it allowed me to run my business during the daytime as best as I could, but also enabled me to spend time with my family Even though I was on dialysis, my sons used to come and sit in the bed with me because usually by about nine o'clock, I would set up the machine, you know, takes about an hour to set up, you know, cleanse the machine down and everything. And then sometimes by nine, my children would come with me, lie in the bed with me and would watch television together or read together. So it, it enabled me to have some sense of family life, but it also enabled me to, because it's done overnight, to have time to run my business to an extent. And what difference did dialysis make in terms of how you felt? I would say, yes, the first thing was that it it stopped this condition, I remember the name now, called gout. So the gout went away. So the buildup of fluid that you get, that I was getting in my ankles and my feet, got slightly better. But yes, I would say those were the benefits on the plus side, obviously, there's always negatives on the other side. And what were the negatives? Primarily, is for, for myself anyway, it was lack of sleep because the machine is a very sensitive process. And if it develops bubbles, the machine alarms, you know, so I have to get up in the middle of the night, check the bubbles. Sometimes maybe you have to replace the inner workings, let's call it that way, which means another washing hands and cleansing hands and so could be another 45 minutes that you're up doing that. So I would say over the period, it was definitely lack of sleep. And another thing that one suffer, most kidney patients suffer being on dialysis, is cramp, excruciating cramp. So I would say those were the two uh, main side effects of the actual dialysis process. And obviously not discounting the fatigue that you get as a consequence of the process. So I know that you went on to have a transplant. So tell me about that. I remember we had just moved to where we're living now and I was really beginning to feel the consequences of the dialysis in the sense that I mentioned fatigue is the main thing because just by the sheer nature of the process, by the mere fact that your diet is reduced, you're not eating as much, so you're just always fatigued. And I was just really getting slower, you know, more and more and more fatigue, you know, and it was just like, Amazing when I got this call out of the blue, as it always is, to say that 
there was a kidney failure. And the irony of it was that I, because of the fatigue, I decided that to plan my day. So I'm not going to take any calls before um, midday, you know, that who it is, I'm not going to answer the phone, you know. And then it was about half past nine and the phone kept on ringing. I thought, God, this person, this client is persistent. Ring, 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 ring. So, and it was literally about half an hour after a consistent ring that I answered it. And it was actually the hospital. So we're trying to get in touch with you frantically. And, um, and so I had this kidney for you. Ironically, and that's always been one of my pet fears in that I would be in a club or in a party or in a bar bopping away my phone <laughs> in my back pocket, in a hospital ringing away, you know, trying to get in contact with you. And obviously nobody knows where you are. And, oh, we can't get in touch with him. You know, let's pass kidney to somebody else, you know. That had always been my fear. And the irony of it was I was actually sitting at home by the phone and almost not answered it. The feeling is, is transcendental. You go through so many emotions. You, you want to cry, but at the same point, you want to get stuff ready, you know, get stuff ready to take with you. Fortunately, my wife was here. So we just leave everything and we just got into the cab. And the emotion was just so much. I remember um, when we were in the cab, I was starting to cry. And the poor driver thought he was going the wrong way. So, no, 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 I got no, 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 I don't go the wrong way. I go the right way. So it was just such a, you know, from it was a 20 minute journey, but it was just that sense of relief, sense of just sheer happiness. But at the same point, you're kind of, you hold back a bit because you know, or you've heard, or you know the fact, the fact that even though you are called, doesn't mean to say that, you know, you're going to get the kidney because they sometimes call two or three people and see who is the best match. So you're, you have a mixed feelings, really. You want it to be you, and you're hoping it to be you, but at the same point, you're very kind of um, reticent, but almost sort of, I think the word is cautiously happy, I think is the best way to describe it. And so you get to the hospital and then when you're at the hospital, that sense of cautiously happy takes over because you then are told that, you know, in medical terms that this is what's happening. We're going to have to test the kidney to make sure that it's suitable and it's not damaged and blah, 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 blah. So your happiness level begins to kind of drop slightly. So it's kind of then begin to then the reality of, well, let me just wait and see kind of thing. And so your happiness is then becomes replaced by just a sense of numbness. Just let's wait and see. You know, you're no longer happy. You're no longer sad. So... After you received this transplant, what was the difference for you in terms of physically, emotionally, otherwise, in terms of your life as a whole compared well, to life when you were on dialysis? Well, I may use the word whole. I think that the better term is to use immediate because people tell you that there is an immediate effect on having a kidney. And you really find it hard to believe that can there be that immediate effect, as they say. And I can categorically say, yes, there is. Because the first, the interesting of one of the things that terms that's come up 
that's been, been very common during this COVID has been the term mental fog. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID patients have described themselves as having this mental fog. Well, that's one of well, that's one of the main consequences of renal failure. I don't know, you may, you may not have developed it, but definitely people on dialysis, I developed this mental fog in a sense that you're just not able to think as quickly, your mental acuity is not as fast. Whereas the minute you have your, oh yes, two things. The minute you have your transplant, the minute you wake up, that disappears. Wow. And so much so that I changed my WhatsApp status to the fog has cleared. (laughs) I like that. Nobody knew what it meant, but I knew what it meant. I changed it to the fog had cleared and it was there for about a year. What does fog has cleared? You don't need to know, but I know. And that is one of the three immediate reactions. The second immediate reaction for myself, and people explain that, is that you somehow get your energy back and it's undescribable. It's a bit like, Imagine you're going up the motorway and you've been used to going in a Skoda. Nothing against wrong Skodas. And then suddenly you're going up that motorway in something like a Ferrari. Okay. The difference in energy that you have is that immediate. You just feel this burst of energy. And it's not like it's slow. It's immediate. When I say immediate, it's as if it just washes over you. Um, is that somebody has washed over you with some energy solution. I mean, not that you can do much because you're lying in bed with all tubes coming out of you, but, you know, you feel it. I mean, half of it may be the morphine, thinking about it, but there is definitely an energy change. And the third thing for me personally is that one of the consequences for a lot of people is they get something called kidney itch. I don't know if you've suffered it, but one, when you asked me one of the side effects, I should have mentioned, in fact, I would say the worst side effect of being on PD was itching. I used to itch literally from head to toe wow. constantly. I want to say constantly. I mean, some days it was so debilitating, you couldn't work. My eyelids itched, my head itched between my toes itched, my back itched. And it was so bad some days, all I could just do was just sit in front of television and just itch. I couldn't go to meetings because you'd be unconsciously itching and itching and itching. But strangely enough, and it happened this time around as well, once you have that kidney, that itching stops dead. And I mean dead. Not a week later, not a day later, not two hours later, the minute you come round, the itching has disappeared. So those are the three immediate amazing changes, physical change, physical and mental changes that happens or happen to me as a consequence of, of the transplantation. Wow, that's truly incredible and just goes to show how important kidney transplantation is. And mm. I know that, unfortunately, this kidney went on to fail. And so you had a, went on to have a second transplant. So 
How did that come about? Well, interestingly enough, prior to the second transplantation, I had been called in June of 2019 for a transplant. So I got there again, this time, you know, happy as again, but, you know, as I said, cautiously happy. And um, that one didn't proceed because the hospital that took it out had butchered it a little bit. And so the, one of the arteries couldn't really be used for the transplantation. So after waiting six, seven hours, I was sent back. Three months later, September of that same year, I got called again sat on the bed, blah, 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 four or five hours later. And, uh, and they said, well, um, this kidney, we think he might have some issues with it because what the policies they had expanded, the people that could donate. So they were taking people, you know, who were maybe, may have been drug addicts or, um, or alcoholics, or maybe the kidney was not 100%. So I was offered this kidney, but it was said, no, I'd rather wait. So when I got the call again three months later, in December, I was kind of a bit, well, you, you know, not that I was going through the motions, but, you know, I would say cautiously happy minus two, you know. But so you just sit there and fortunately this time around, four or five hours later, you know, you're not, it's a bit like, uh, it ain't over to the fat lady sing. So you only till you're <laughs> until you have recovered. That's when you know you've had a transplant, and even then, you're not even out of the woods there. Because I think in my case, it took about a week or so before the kidney woke up, as they call it. Oh, you had a sleeping kidney. Yes, yes. I mean, it's mine slept. I, I think it slept and gone on holiday, to be honest. I <laughs> <laughs> think slept and packed his bag and gone, gone to Florida for two weeks before coming back. <laughs> so, yes, it took, so obviously, you're anxious that it's going to happen, you know, so you're looking for every dribble of weed that's going to come out, you know, and then eventually it did start. So it's a very... It's a journey, you know, I mean, even now you're still on a journey, but that part, you know, you have to you wait frantically. And the worst part is people were coming in, having a transplant three days later, you know, waiting for Britain, you know, kind of thing. And I was still there on, you know, little dribbles, you know, I probably cried more than I was waiting, <laughs> you know, more water coming out of my eyes and it was coming from down there, to be honest. <laughs> And, and it was so annoying. Everyone's coming in and passing me. Thinking, what the hell's going on? You know, there's a man next to me. You know, he came in. Two days later, he kind of filled three carrier bags. I was thinking, what the hell? So it was a bit frustrating. But it did happen in the end. But I did develop serious complications this time around. Put it this way, I was first time transplant. I was in for 10 days. This time I was in for six weeks because right. I had infection upon infection. It tore my muscle. I mean, even that, you know, I came home with a massive wound, open wound that took months to heal. And then even now, about four months ago, I discovered I had a hernia. 
So I've got to go for another operation, hopefully end of May. So it's not over yet. It really has been a, a rough journey. Yeah, yeah, this time around, definitely, yes. It's been a tough journey this time around, I would say. But at the same time, it does highlight and give that gloom of hope for someone who also has a sleeping kidney and, like yourself, they might be seeing this person come in and go and this person come in and go. It does give them that glimmer of hope that actually it will pick up. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, th- I think they know pretty soon if there is a, an issue, because obviously the biggest issue they're worried about is rejection. Yes. Isn't it? You know, if they know pretty soon that it's not been rejected, and, and obviously the, the ways they can test for that. And I think, again, depends on your age, you know, of the person. I'm in my 60s. And also depends upon the age of the donor, you know, and how it came out, how it was transplanted, how it was transported and all of that. So I didn't have any worries that it would eventually wake up. But obviously, you know, there's still at the back of your mind that, you know, things may not, you know, go your way. So you really have had a journey of many highs and lows of finding out that you were in end stage kidney failure, going on to dialysis, having your first kidney transplant and then going on to having your second kidney transplant. So you've had a wealth of experiences. So based on all of this, what advice would you give to somebody who's just been diagnosed with kidney disease? Take your time. Just take it all in. Don't be rushed by by the medical people, you've been bombarded with this, been bombarded with that. Just take your time, absorb it all in, and know that it's unlikely to get any worse than it is. You're on a long journey. Long, I mean, it's, you're on a lifetime journey. Put it that way. It's not a long journey. You're on a lifetime journey. And so because it's a lifetime journey, you can afford not to be rushed and pushed into things, you know? If they want to, like for instance, now I'll give you an example. They wanted me to have a fistula because obviously fistulas are more effective, so they say, more effective than than PD. And obviously for them also, it's probably cheaper compared to the cost of, I'm not sure, but they do try and push you immediately into having a fistula. Now, I resisted that. Two reasons was I thought, well, why should I have my arm potentially scarred if there's an alternative to that? You know, it didn't make any sense to me that I would prefer to exhaust the more gentle method rather than the harsher method. Since I'm going to be on this journey, you know, but... That's one thing I'm saying, but they will try to tell you the benefits of this, benefits of that, and blah, blah, blah. It's not effective. I think, hang on, well, if it's not effective, is it is effective, is it going to be effective enough for me to live some semblance of life, of normality? You know, it's a bit like saying, oh, this car can take you to Manchester in one hour. This car will take you there in. 45 minutes. Well, what do you do other 15 minutes when you got there? 
you know, it's 50 means is not going to make a huge difference to your life, is it? So I, I resisted. So first, so advice is take your time, resist anything that they offer you because that it's probably going to be in the best interest and not yours. When you've decided the best course for you and when you want to start what you think is best for you, go for it. Read and research because everybody has their own agenda. The hospitals, the doctors, everybody has their own agenda. And their own agenda might not be your agenda. I'm always about people making the best choice for themselves and definitely into empowering people with knowledge. And it is about finding what is best for you in that circumstance. For some people, hemodialysis is their their treatment of choice. And for some people, PD is their treatment of choice. So I'm definitely 100% behind people being empowered to make the choice that's best for them. Yes, but I will say that it has to be an informed decision. I mean, I have, and by that I mean you need to read and research. I have seen so many times being in hospital that see many patients just make what I call knee-jerk business decisions. So I think, you know, people just do things just because it's like a knee-jerk reaction. And that to me is pointless. So I'm not saying people shouldn't think for themselves, but you have to do it from an informed point of view. You you have to read and you have to say, well, this is why I feel this is best for me. Not just say it because your your uncle down the road or your neighbor, you know, yeah. X, Y, and Z, or the person sitting next to you, you know, in the booth, oh, no, I wouldn't go down that route, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's very important. You need to take the time to read and research and find out why you're making that decision and not just make it just a knee-jerk or something that you've read or something that somebody has told you. So in your experience along this journey, what is the number one thing that you would say is important for kidney warriors in terms of managing their kidney disease and having that quality of life? I think managing your diet Managing exercise, very important. And finding ways of managing your mental health. So managing your diet, obviously, is number one, because there are many things that you can and cannot eat. And you need to kind of explore the range of things that are available for you to eat. So... And then just try to make as healthier meals within the limitations of what you can. I mean, there are wonderful websites there that have lots of kidney, you know, renal friendly um, recipes. So taking your health seriously, managing, knowing your numbers. Me, I'm one of these people who don't look at the numbers religiously. For two reasons. One, I go by my gut feeling. I go by how I feel and what I'm doing. So if I feel that I'm doing something that may have an impact on my real condition, then I'll rather stop that. And so I go by more how I feel. And secondly, the main reasons that I don't go by numbers is that this is one of the things that I actually instigated 
one of them dialysis was that they used to bring random numbers to the patients. So as a biochemist, my complaint, well, what is the point of telling somebody that the urea, let's say 3.2, unless you have the range of what it should be and the consequences of that, you know, to them. So, I mean, you know, I made a lot of noise and instigated that. So, yes, people do go by their numbers, and I think nothing wrong with that. But I personally, I just go by how I feel, and I listen to my body, and I listen to any things that I think is slightly changing. So, like, the other day, I've, a couple of times when I got up quickly and I felt a bit lightheaded, and I, mm, I don't usually feel like that. And I thought, well, that's usually associated with low blood pressure. You know, so I thought I'll watch that for a few days. It could be that I've not drank enough fluid for those two days. But what I was trying to say, I was aware that, you know, I'd noticed that, you know. So I thought, let me monitor for a few days, see if it happens again. And I'll take my blood pressure, primarily because they had doubled my blood pressure tablets, you see. So I was thinking it might be too low. So, yes. You know, if knowing your numbers is important for you, do it. So that's a health side. Exercise is actually, I think, very important. Even though you are fatigued, you still need to keep your muscles, you still need to keep your body as active as possible because it helps you fight any potential infection. So you have to do the limit of what you can do. So I still made sure that even though I was fatigued, I dragged myself out three or four times a week for a 40-minute walk. Yes, it was a slow pace. Yes, you know, the snails could have beaten me (laughs) in a race. (laughs) (laughs) But that didn't really matter. The fact was I was putting one leg in front of the next, getting out and doing exercise. So don't stop exercising. Don't stop thinking I'm too fatigued to do anything. And um, thirdly, find ways of managing your mental health. You know, so it might mean just current doing what you can do as much as possible. So in my case, for instance, I loved going to the theatre and I actually had an entertainment website, which I used, which I stopped because I thought, oh, man, I'm too tired and blah, 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 blah. Then I think one year into dialysis, I thought myself tired why? I mean, you enjoy going to the theatre. You enjoy doing this activity. So I said, right, I'm going to start again. So I, you know, went back to the website, started to write my previews and go to the plays. And it was tough because I, most of the time it was, I was in plays in the evening. I just finished dialysis or I was my day off. And it was a struggle to literally go up, you know, drag myself out to see the play. Sometimes when I was coming home, I would have to sit at the station for 10 minutes before I could get up and get on the train. And then at the other end, I had this staircase I had to climb. And sometimes I would just sit there for five minutes to recover before I tackled the stairs. But the act of doing that, the act of seeing a play, it gave me life again. You know, it gave me life again. It gave a point to my existence. 
you know? And it was amazing. So that's how I coped. So the first thing is don't stop doing what you love doing. Just find ways of doing it in a different way. Even if it's just a quarter of it, but don't stop doing what you're doing because what you were doing before is part of you. So, so that'd be my important advice. Just don't stop doing what you were doing, but just find ways of doing it. And that is so important because I think that so much of your life is stolen in a sense by having kidney disease. And so being able to kind of reclaim that important part of you. Mm. So, so important. So, mm. so yeah, as you said, even if it's doing a quarter of what it was mm. before and building up on yeah. that, yeah. so much better than not doing anything at all. Like and in, enjoy. Yeah, and interesting enough, that's why I'm actually more sad now than when I had my transplant because COVID is going to have a massive impact on all renal patients and what they can do. Like for someone like myself now, it's going to be a long, long, long time before I can ever see myself going back to a theatre to come watch a play. Merely by the mere fact that you are in close contact with strangers for, you know, hours on end in an enclosed building. And renal patients aren't for anybody who's got a long-term disease. They're not out of the woods. You know, they're not out of the woods by any means, in my viewpoint, you know. So let's talk about that because, I mean, even before COVID, transplant patients had to be careful who they were around in terms of picking up things due to the immunosuppressants. Um, Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, I don't think, I don't think I'm, when I had my transplant, I was really that bothered about picking things up from people. I was more bothered about catching from the food I ate. I was more bothered, for instance, by not eating a salad from a salad bar and potentially catching a gastrointestinal infection than I was from going to the theatre. So I was more worried about what I ate mm-hmm. as a, that could potentially give me an infection as opposed to from other people. So as I touched on, in terms of infection from things that you eat and other people, this is something pre-COVID that yes. patients had to consider. Mm. So in terms of how you manage that, how did you manage that? I mean, obviously COVID has added another factor. Mm. But COVID aside, what was the best way that you managed in terms of, like you said, you avoided salad bars and things like that Yes, on a practical level? Well, you protect yourself? um, As I said, for me personally, it was just really avoiding certain foods. And obviously avoiding, you know, meeting clobbering babies or going in a situation, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or going in a situation where people are potentially coughing and spluttering, you know. So for instance, as, as just what you said, I never went on a train during a rush hour. If I did go by train or public transport, it was always in the afternoon, unless I had to go somewhere in the morning, you know. So it was being aware of not being around people who could potentially pass something onto you. So that goes back to what you were saying about 
still maintaining the things that you do, but doing them in a different way, adapting them and yes. them to make it possible for you yes. as, as a renal patient. Yes. So do you have any more advice for someone out there who's listening, who has kidney disease, they're feeling maybe a bit scared, not knowing what to expect, or maybe they're starting to experience the kind of symptoms that you were describing along your journey. What would you say to this individual to empower Um, them hope? Well, I suppose for me, one of the things that you should look out for is things like swollen feet, you know, which is obviously an indication of water retention and potential, you know, issues with your kidneys. And you should begin to take that seriously if there's no rational explanation for it. You know, if you're not drinking, you know, 10 gallons of water every day, if there's no rational explanation for it, you can look at that. And secondly, look at things like gout, because young people shouldn't, or anybody theoretically shouldn't be getting gout. Gout used to be called a rich man's disease you know, for people who drank port and, and ate lots of venison. So, it, you know, that was a typical person that suffered gout, you know, back in the ages. So if you're experiencing things like gout for unexplained reason, water retention, and I suppose the most obvious one is if your blood pressure is going up, take it seriously. I think for me, if I give one advice is that don't just take the medical practitioners were for it. I remember when my blood pressure was going up and I was asking questions about it. Um, oh, doctor, are oh, you African-Caribbean? You know, predominant African-Caribbean people. And I just took it that it will come down eventually. I think if you are suffering from high blood pressure, it is not normal. You know, yes, it might be genetic, but for you, it is not normal. And you should do anything you can to bring down that blood pressure, because that is one of the main consequences that leads to kidney failure. So take any blood pressure increase seriously, as you would say, for instance, you'd had a mild heart attack and you knew that you need to change your lifestyle. If you get any sense that your blood pressure is going up, see that as a way of changing your lifestyle and thereby preventing you to get to the stage that people like us are at. So I think that is the one advice I would say, you know, monitor, look at your blood pressure very carefully, look for any physical signs like, you know, water retention or any things like gout or any other, other kind of, any other kind of conditions that might be associated with it. Thank you. And obviously, if you're diabetic, you need to take extra care because diabetes is one of the gateways to kidney failure. So and people should be aware of that and not be blasé about diabetes because it is one of the direct gateways to kidney failure. And so diabetes is a horrible disease anyway but it's doubly horrible if you are on dialysis as well. Thank you. And do you have a final word of encouragement for our listeners? Yes. I mean, it's a journey. 
And if you've read an autobiography, you'll realize that there is that at the end of the journey. I've just finished reading um, recently, Shoe Dog, which is the biography of Bill Knight, the guy that started Nike. And if you read how he started Nike, you know, I think about $10,000 or whatever, things were going wrong all along the way, blah, 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 blah. But now they're the biggest sports and apparel wear in the world. So I think when you read people's biography, you see that, you know, it seems tough, but it's a journey. And for me, I've met some wonderful people on my um, kidney journey. I met some amazing friends at dialysis. You know, we've had some fantastic laughs there. We had some great times. You know, it's made me a different kind of person, my family as well. So I think just recognize that it's a journey. Be kind to yourself and just understand that you are going to have periods where things won't go your way. Like I said, there was a time when the itching was just debilitating, you know, but you get over it. And so things, you know, things can get better if you give yourself time and if you have the attitude that it is a journey and there are going to be pitfalls, but also highs along the way. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your Kidney Warrior journey. My pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing such amazing advice. And yes, I know that it will help so many people in their journey. So thank you again. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to tell the world my story. And I hope that, as you say, it empowers and encourages some of your listeners. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, Hope and love.